Let us now read together what we confess in the Heidelberg Catechism in Lord's Day 22. There we find God's word summarized as follows. What comfort does the resurrection of the body offer you? Not only shall this my soul after this life immediately be taken up to Christ my head, but also this my flesh, raised by the power of Christ, shall be reunited with my soul and made like Christ's glorious body. What comfort do you receive from the article about the life everlasting? Since I now already feel in my heart the beginning of eternal joy, I shall after this life possess perfect blessedness, such as no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man conceived, a blessedness in which to praise God forever. After the sermon, we will sing from Psalm 118, the stanzas 4 and 8. Beloved congregation of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, brothers and sisters, this afternoon we are dealing with the last two articles of the Apostles' Creed, dealing with the life hereafter. And let me begin by asking you a question. Are you longing for the life hereafter? You probably say that you aren't. Why would you? Especially when you are still young. There is still so much to enjoy here on earth. There are so many plans that we have. Who wants to die? Who wants to give up the life that we have now? Even when you're older and in good health, then you do not really yet long to leave this earth yet either. There is not a strong desire with any of us for the life hereafter, is there? We are not like those militant Muslims who welcome death and blow themselves up so that they can enjoy their reward in heaven, a dozen virgins or so. No, we enjoy life. We enjoy life in in spite of the many annoyances that we have to put up with, in spite of the pain and the sorrows and the disappointments that we experience all the time. Even though life is not always easy, yet we hang on to life with everything we've got. Yet we also know that we're going to die. There are no exceptions. And so we do think about the life hereafter. We wonder what it's going to be like when we die and go into heaven. We try to use our imagination and we speculate. Are we going to be able to enjoy the same things that we can enjoy here on earth now, except in perfect measure? Children will wonder whether or not they will be able to enjoy their favorite sport or their favorite food. And adults may wonder about other things. What will my new body look like? Will it look like it does now, or will I get a younger version? And what about my loved ones? Will I be able to recognize my husband, my children, my parents, my friends? 
We also think about the kinds of things that we will be doing in heaven. Will we have a job? Will we be working? Or will we be singing all the time? That sounds boring to us, doesn't it? We think about all the things that we enjoy here on earth, and we want that in perfect measure in heaven. And brothers and sisters, and that includes you boys and girls, our whole attitude shows how much we are tied to this earth. We are reluctant to leave it, and when we do think about it, we think only about those kinds of things that we will enjoy. It's only natural to think that way. That's what you can expect from selfish human beings. For with us, it's all about me. It's about our own enjoyment. But our thinking is wrong. Our thinking needs correcting time and again. And that's why we come to church every Sunday. We need to be reminded of what God has revealed to us in his word. And the Heidelberg Catechism beautifully summarizes that here in this Lord's Day about the life hereafter and when it tells us about the enjoyment of eternal life now already. And that's what we will deal with in this Lord's Day. I will preach to you about the eternal joy. And that eternal joy we will enjoy in the first place now, that's my first point, and the second place in the life hereafter. So I will preach to you about the eternal joy, the eternal joy that we will enjoy now in the first place and secondly in the life hereafter. Comfort is one of the main themes of the Heidelberg Catechism. The Catechism also begins by speaking to us about our comfort, What is your only comfort in life and in death? And that is why the Heidelberg Catechism is also called the Book of Comfort. For that theme is seen throughout. And that is seen especially in this Lord's Day. Twice it asks about our comfort. What comfort does the resurrection of the body offer you, it asks. And further, what comfort do you receive from the article about the life everlasting? When we speak about the need for comfort, then we do so because we are in pain or in distress. We need comfort when we are grieving about something. Someone who has just uh, lost a loved one needs to be comforted. And those who have been told that they have terminal cancer or some other kind of terminal disease also needs to be comforted. We also grieve about our sins. We grieve about the fact that we cannot stop sinning. Time and again, we fall into the same sins. We think about the ways that we have wronged others. We think about the bad things that we have done in the past. It bothers us, and therefore we need comfort. But now the Catechism says that my comfort is that I now already have the beginning of eternal joy. And it states that as a fact. And so there is a tension here. We don't always feel that, do we? How then do I get that feeling of eternal joy in the midst of sin and misery? And why does the Catechism speak about our feelings here? Isn't that somewhat subjective? Can our feelings truly determine our state of affairs? Let's face it, feelings are not very reliable. 
They're not a good guide for our actions. If, for example, you don't like, you don't feel like going to work, then you had better not give in to your feelings or else you will lose your job. And if you don't feel like doing your parents' will, or if you don't feel like doing your boss's will, then you had better not act in accordance with your feelings either. And you had better not act according to your feelings when you feel some, when you see something that you like, and then you go ahead and steal it. You don't go according to your feelings. For when we are dealing with our feelings, then we are dealing usually with our fleshly desires. However, not all feelings are wrong. When our feelings are in accordance with God's will, then they are the right kind of feelings. And that is what the catechism is talking about here. It speaks about our feelings as the result of obedient living. For example, you may not feel like going to work in the morning, but once you put those subjective feelings aside and do what you are supposed to do, then once you are at work, then you will, will feel good about yourself. Obedience gives you the right kinds of feelings. Think about the author of Psalm 119. This psalm is a song of praise about the law of God. The psalmist says, for example, in verse 14, I rejoice in following your statutes as one rejoices in great riches. And in verse 16, I delight in your decrees. I will not neglect your word. And in verse 47, For I delight in your commands because I love them. And in verse 103, How sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth. And so you see that this author is full of joy. He experienced that faithful obedience produces good feelings. It is only when you do the will of God that you can be truly joyful. But please note that the psalmist receives that joy, not because he concentrates on himself, on what he wants, but on what God wants. God has given us the ten words of the covenant to describe the kind of relationship we have with each other. The Lord says, if you love me, then you will also seek me, and you will not seek other gods. And then you will not treat my name either as if it has no meaning. And then you will want to have a day of rest, a day of worship, specially designed to celebrate the relationship that we have with each other. And if you love me, you will also love my people. Then you will not steal from them. Then you will not false, bear false witness against any of them or covet their material goods or wish them any harm. In other words, you put your trust in the Lord your God who gave you the rules of relationships. You believe in him. You believe in what he stands for. You believe in his promises. Well, brothers and sisters, boys and girls, if that is the case, then you have the beginning of eternal life now already. For listen to what the Lord Jesus says himself in John 3 verse 36. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. But whoever rejects the Son will not see life, for God's wrath remains on him. And in John 6, verse 47, he says, I tell you the truth, he who believes has eternal life. And the Apostle John says in 1 John 5, verse 10 and 11, Anyone who believes in the Son of God 
has this testimony in his heart. Anyone who does not believe God has made him out to be a liar because he has not believed the testimony God has given about his son. And this is the testimony. God has given us eternal life and this life is in his son. God has given us eternal life. Present tense. That eternal life we have when we believe. When we put our trust in the Lord our God. Just before the Lord Jesus ascended into heaven, the disciples asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? They knew that with the advent of God's kingdom, sin and evil would be done away with. The disciples were looking for heaven on earth. But do you know what the Lord Jesus said to them? He said, It is not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. That power from the Holy Spirit was given not only to the disciples, but that power was given to all the believers, given to you and to me. It was given to the disciples at the day of Pentecost. And it is through the Holy Spirit that they are sanctified. And it is through the Holy Spirit that we are sanctified and that we are renewed. It is through the Holy Spirit that you are made perfect. For the Holy Spirit prepares you for the life hereafter. It is through the power of the Holy Spirit that you are able to have a truly heavenly perspective. And that is what we need while we still live here on this earth. There are those who one-sidedly spiritualize their lives. They speak piously about the kind of life they live and the kind of life that they want others to live. And for them, it's all about the well-being of one's spirit or one's soul. And they are of the opinion that Christ came to save souls. That was the only purpose. And it's true that Christ came to save souls, but it is much more than that. Some people are not all that interested in the material world around them. They would rather not be involved in politics, for example, or in evangelism, or in reaching out to others in other ways. Oh, sure, they can speak piously about what they believe. To them, all the biblical doctrines and confessions are of utmost importance. To them, it is of utmost importance that you belong to the true church, that you do all the right things. You pay for church and school. You make sure that you never miss a worship service and all those kinds of things. And it is true that you must also do that. But Christ did not just come for your own spiritual life. He did not just come to save your souls. It isn't just about your own spiritual life. He came for much more. And the Heidelberg Catechism also makes that clear in the way that it treats the resurrection from the dead and the life hereafter. For it begins mentioning the soul in connection with the flesh. It wants a balance there between the two, between the material and the spiritual. But the question is about the resurrection of the body. The soul does not come into play here. But Lord's Day 22 begins by mentioning the soul. And in so doing, it emphasizes both body and soul. 
the authors want to show that body and soul belong together. The first question and answer of the Heidelberg Catechism also began by speaking about both. It states that our comfort in life and in death is that I belong to my faithful Savior with both body and soul. And it speaks about the fact that both body and soul need to be redeemed. The Lord Jesus Christ came to redeem not just our soul, but also our flesh. In other words, Lord God wants to restore the physical, the material as well. He wants to save not just individual souls, but he wants to save the whole world. And for that reason, we should not just be concerned about our soul only, but also about our flesh. That is why the Bible also speaks about our body as temples of the Holy Spirit. The Lord God takes the material just as seriously as the spiritual. We may not emphasize the one at the expense of the other. For that reason, we should not overemphasize the material, the flesh, either. That is what modern-day environmentalists do. They are concerned only about the physical world. They want to save the world by their environmental practices. And there is no doubt that the Lord God wants us to be good stewards of this earth and of its resources. The fact of the matter, however, is that this world has been polluted all right, but it has been polluted by sin. And that is the worst kind of pollution you can imagine. And the Lord God sent his Son in order to deal with sin, also the sinful world. But you won't hear the environmentalists speak about that kind of pollution. And we, too, tend to emphasize the material. We enjoy earthly things, and we pursue them. Look at how we pursue our material well-being, how we want to acquire things for ourselves. And that's okay, as long as we don't do that at the expense of the spiritual. It has to be a good balance. On the last day, the Lord God will restore this whole earth. Everything will be new again. Please don't think, however, that everything is going to be totally new, totally different. Oh, no, it's going to be the same earth, except a perfect earth. And you're going to have the same body, except a perfect body. It will be a spiritual body. In other words, it will be totally dominated by the spirit then you will have truly a good balance between the spiritual and the physical. And therefore, brothers and sisters, we should not think lightly about the material world and lightly about our bodies. Nowadays, it is a trend to cremate dead bodies. They put the dead body of a loved one to the flame. Fire, however, is symbolic of hell. Cremation is a heathen custom. Christian believers put their bodies in the grave. For that body acts like a seed, as we could read in 1 Corinthians 15. And as Paul says, it is sown a physical body, but it is raised a spiritual body. That symbolism is precious. It is that symbolism that we must hang on to. The symbolism of internment for a, of a Christian is a very important thing. 
for a Christian has a heavenly perspective. At least he should have. Heaven and earth are going to be united. What about in the meantime, you may ask? What happens to those whose bodies are in the grave, but whose souls have gone to heaven? Well, as it says in the book of Revelation, those souls are singing around the throne of God right now. They are disembodied souls, but nevertheless they are the souls of those who have departed. And the soul especially refers to the life that we have. And we have a spiritual soul. We have that soul, we have that being, that existence that we have with God. And that never ends. It is true that we should not speak in a dualistic fashion about body and soul. Body and soul belong together. But the life that we have with Christ will never end. We also believe that. And so when we die, we can be assured that we continue to exist around God's throne. And we will be waiting there for the last day when sin and the agents of sin and the effects of sin will have been totally done away with here on earth. And then on that last day, our bodies will rise from the graves. They will reappear from everywhere, from the depths of the ocean, from the mountaintops, and from all the corners of the world. And at that time, everyone will have his or her own body back, except a perfect body. There will be no more handicaps. There will be no more disabilities. There will be no more pain. What a beautiful description of what it will be like is given in Revelation 22. It says there that no longer will there be any curse. There will be no more darkness. Every tear, it says in Revelation 21, every tear will be wiped away from our eyes. There will be no more sorrow and there will be no more pain. What will it be like exactly? Well, there are a lot of unanswered questions. Will we remember our loved ones? Well, our memories are currently fraught with pain. Even good memories. Good memories are mixed with the bad. Also when it comes to our relationship with our loved ones. There are many things that we have done wrong in our lives. Also in our relationship with our loved ones. Will we remember them? Will we remember the kinds of things we have done together? Somehow I doubt it. For in heaven there will be no more pain and no more sorrow. So there will be no more painful memories either. And what are the kinds of things that we will enjoy in the new heaven and in the new earth? Will we be able to enjoy our favorite foods and participate in our favorite activities? Well, brothers and sisters, the Bible does not tell us. We do know that our greatest enjoyment will be the enjoyment of the Lord our God. And that enjoyment will be so great that we cannot even begin to imagine it. God will walk with us and talk with us. And there is no fear. There is no fear of death. There is no fear of harm. There are no broken relationships. It will be absolutely wonderful, brothers and sisters. And the Bible does tell us that. And what age will our bodies be on the new earth? Again, that's a question that the Bible does not answer either. Although we may speculate, really we don't know. 
we do know that our bodies will exist forever and ever. There will be no end to our existence. And why do we exist? Well, brothers and sisters, boys and girls, we exist in order to praise God's name. That's our task here on earth, and that will be our task in heaven as well. And that is what we are going to be doing in heaven forever and ever and ever. And so, brothers and sisters, boys and girls, it's not first of all about our enjoyment in heaven or our enjoyment here on earth either. It's never about that. It's always about the glory of God. It's always about obedience to the Lord your God. And once you are totally obedient, as you will be in the life hereafter, then, only then, will you experience total bliss. And for that reason, we need our thinking changed. We should not think about what we get out of a relationship with the Lord our God, but we should be thinking about God himself. He is the one who makes everything new. He is the one who saves our bodies and our souls. He is the one who gives us a foretaste of heaven now, and he will give us a taste of heavenly bliss bliss in the life hereafter. And the glory is to him alone. Amen.